from Bureaucracy's Basement to your ears, this is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau Freedom Convoy Special Edition. Each week, the dedicated staff of the Bureau gets in their trucks and drives to Ottawa to file recommendations, make reports, and I don't even want to continue on with this shtick because it is odious. Uh, one day, maybe, we'll escape from this subterranean hell to this city sub-basement, but until that day comes, the city is not going to improve itself. So, here we stay. The improving phase. This meeting is now in session. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Oh, dandy. Yeah? You yeah. ready to meeting? I'm ready to meeting. Um, like, like handing and feeding, I'm ready to meeting. Excellent. Well, should we do attendance? We should. We should. Um... Regrettably, I do not have my uh, attendance sheet with me today. So, that's fine uh, because the lights are out anyways. So that's true. There is no power here. Uh, I don't even know if people are going to hear this. Um, so, okay. So the first attendee is a uh, is a dim shape. I can sort of see the reflection of glasses over on the other end of the room. Um, perhaps he's some kind of specter. No, he's not. No, it's me, Paul Deshane. Okay. So you're Paul DeShane. Which is almost an anagram for dim shape. Almost. It's fa- fairly close. Um, I- I'm, glad, I'm glad you're not some kind of specter or just a dim shape because I don't know them, but I, I know you. So, Although I have been called dim many a time. <laughs> I, and I, I have been called a shape. Have you? Yeah. yeah. Hey, shape. I'm like, <laughs> shape. I'm an entire human being. I suppose I do have a shape, though. So there you go. Um, all right, and uh, and second attendee, you're here. Uh, we've got. Um, I, I actually can't see the second attendee. I can. I, I mean, I can hear his voice saying the words that I'm saying right now, but I don't have a mirror, so I don't know who it is. Ah, oh, because it's you, actually. It is me. I, yeah. I, I find I I find I'm unable to see myself. Yeah, sorry. Oh, wait, That's because the lights hands. are out. Oh, okay. I just thought it was the condition of every human being to never be able to actually properly see themselves or understand themselves. That but might be just... true. That might be true normally, but this is radio, so anything's possible. That's true. And the lights are out, so that's a that's a much more comforting explanation. Yeah. So you're Aiden Morgan, just I in am. case we didn't get that out. Oh good. Okay, that's me. Yeah. Um I recognize that name. So yeah. I'm, I'll take it. Good. Hey, um, yeah. things are happening. Uh, things are happening right now. So you you were alluding uh, to the the trucker convoy in Ottawa. I was, I was, I, I I thought it was I was doing a pretty subtle call out there, but yeah, that's that's what I was referring to. I'm pretty clever, so I kind of caught on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I wanted to double check though before. Yeah. Uh, I found like as far as like urban planning things that need to be touched upon in within the context of the, uh, the Ottawa convoy. Uh, I was, I was entertained to hear that uh, there were so many trucks and various other like large-ish vehicles that were coming into Ottawa, uh, into the downtown, a part of the city that's not only not built for big trucks, but uh, they're not actually really allowed there. Definitely not to park there. That a lot of them, most of them spent the, the rally time stuck in traffic. 
on the way. Like they were, they were stuck on the road trying to get into the city. And apparently if you went out of sort of the core of the city, you'd see this long line of vehicles where you just had like, you know, even more frustrated white men, just their heads down on their horns, <laughs> just blaring because they, they couldn't get to where all the fun was. They were, they were stuck on the road. And it just made me think of that old urban planning adage that you're not stuck in traffic. You are traffic. Ooh, I like that. They call it a convoy. They call it a rally, a protest. But really, it was just like traffic. It was that, just a really long commute. Yes. I mean, yes. and to, to, to not being paid, because I think they thought they were going to get some money out of this. But uh, apparently, is it who's, who's, the, who's the organizer? Yeah. The, but there, who's the organizer? There's Pat King and... Um, oh, uh, something Lich. or other Lich. Yeah. Is it Tamara Lich? Tamara Lich. Sorry, a disembodied voice. Just Secretary of the Maverick Party. Just just inform me. Um, sorry, it's must that was our intern. Our, our usually silent intern. Apparently she made off with, with some of the money. Um, but she's hard. Apparently she they, they don't know where she is right now. Um Oh, she was she was quoted today. She was quoted oh. and she's she swears that any money that isn't used for fuel is going to go to a veterans charity. Hmm. Obviously, you know that the protesters in Ottawa weren't um, weren't getting that money because they were shaking down food banks for food, yeah. um, and 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 allegedly uh, trying to extort a, a local restaurant for free drinks. Yeah, these this, these are things that have made the rounds of Twitter. Um, perhaps some some people might say, "Oh, that's just stuff." talk on Twitter. It didn't happen, but it did. Yeah. One of the moments of this that really encapsulated, I mean, there was like the Nazi flag and the don't tread on me flag and the three percenter flag uh, and the Confederate flag. Uh, These were all like iconic moments, but the one that really sort of captured the, uh, the uh, entitlement that is at the root of this movement was, uh, and there's video of this, of a group, a large, a huge group of people. Uh, they were doing like indigenous dancing and drumming, but of course they were not themselves indigenous and they were singing, but they were well chanting and they were just chanting gibberish. Like literally they were chanting Yabba Dabba Do. Okay. As though they were indigenous or doing indigenous music. I've seen I've seen people who associate with the Freedom Convoy going to great pains to point out the actual indigenous people who are at the rally. Um, although a lot of them, some of the indigenous people there don't belong to any recognized actual indigenous organization. Um, that, who are in that classic sense of the term, pretendians. So, but yeah, that uh, that that faux indigenous dance. Um, I mean, I thought I thought dressing up, uh, you know, uh, Terry Fox with an upside down Canadian flag was the height of like gaucherie. But mm-hmm. 
yeah, pretend indigenous dancing is probably just kind of disgusting. It says so much about what they are in that <laughs> they just they feel that they can that they are entitled to take anything they want. And if they want to take a dump on it, they can mm-hmm. take a dump on it because they get to do that because they're entitled to. And That's so nice. they, they've taken over the capital and they've taken a dump on it, literally and figuratively. Yeah. And then they just they take indigenous dancing. And they just feel like, yeah, we can do this. We're going to get away with it. So we're just going to do it. It's just so many different kinds of despicable. Yeah. No, it's uh, when a group of like people get together like that and uh, reminiscent of the January 6th uh, insurrection, just a crowd of, of disaffected, but essentially entitled people. Yeah. Uh, just, just trying to like, just acting out like, like children. I, I think this is actually worse than January 6th. I mean, the, there's, there has, as, at this moment, there has been no violence. Uh, mm-hmm. At this moment, there's been no attempt to overthrow the government, but at least for many of the sort of like bog standard, uh, you know, ranting loon at the January 6th thing, they actually thought their election had been stolen. And they were very angry about their election being stolen. They thought they had to fight to win this, you know, this stolen election back. The people in the convoy don't actually think like this, like the last election was completely lawful by their own admission. Trudeau was elected to government. And they've gone to Ottawa with the, for the express purpose of getting him out of there. So, by honking a lot. Yeah, yeah, by honking a lot. Just as with, like, we're just going to steal Indigenous dancing because we think we can. Uh, they also seem to feel entitled to overturn a lawful election, even though they're a grotesque minority, uh, just because, you know, they think they should be able to. They, mm-hmm. you know, they think they're important enough that what everybody else in the country thinks just doesn't really matter to them. No, no. Some of them have a sense of mission. And I think, as is common with these kinds of like fringe movements, there you've got a small core of out and out sort of neo fascist, you know, jerks of uh, the, the liches and the pet kings um, that are padded by people of varying degrees of respectability who share small, see very small amounts of the core beliefs, perhaps none, but believe that somehow they have been wronged uh, by the sort of like technocratically competent and kind of uninspiring government of, of you know, of Trudeau. It, it just, it, like, like revolting against Trudeau for unless you've got like you know some actual beefs with say his, his ongoing you know rather shabby treatment of indigenous people it's like revolting against porridge it's it's just porridge it's it does the job yeah. i don't know i don't know what they want they yeah. do they do they want they want a like a a right wing government that will punish people they don't like yes they do and as if they have cornered the market on being aggrieved at a federal government um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> Like so many people in the country, as you as you indicated, have have like cause for legitimate beef with the liberal government right now, um, and with the Harper government before it. And I just and I just think it's a lot of people who just spend too much to have spent too much time in like Facebook groups reinforcing yeah. nonsense till they have a set of like inarticulable and not coherent but sincerely held beliefs. 
there was a wonderful um, Substack article. I cannot remember the name of the author. Call, Colin Horgan? Is that who you mean? That one. Yeah. Yes. Talking about how he's sick and tired of living in somebody else's like LARPy hero fantasy. That's, that's where we are. That's exactly it. Yeah. I, I read that. I think followed followed your link. And I was like, yep, that's exactly it. Yeah. It's, and of course, there was actually a, over the weekend, there was a convoy in sympathy or in, yeah. or in solidarity at, at the in Regina. And they opened the legislature, although it was actually just up and down Albert most of the day. Yeah. Um, I actually, I was out and about that day. I, I went and saw the tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, oh, and yeah. one of, and yeah, it's good. Uh, in a matinee. And when I got out, uh, the con, like the parade of trucks and uh, and SUVs and whatnot, going up and down the this Albert Street and honking their horn. It was like this endless deafening sound. It was, I thought this is just like bizarre and just the most meaningless nonsense I've ever seen. And when you, and when you, people talk about being a legitimate protest, but it's got that same core of like knee jerk racist <laughs> cranks that have been plaguing our city for, for a while. And mm-hmm. it's, and there's people with flags saying F Trudeau. I'm like, oh, come on. It just makes some sense. I mean, how is how does this make any sense? Jeet here uh, talked about how uh, how insignificant this protest really is uh, when you, when you compare it to say the um, the climate protests in Canada from like two three years ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were like a million people across the country hit the streets. Like yep. Montreal was shut down not by trucks but by human bodies. There were so many people who were out in the street. So the um, the swell of support for climate action far exceeded what we're seeing for this. Let's oust Trudeau. Let's oh, of course. Yeah. But it does illustrate another like interesting urban planning point, which there, there are these like infographics of how many people can you move along a road? And if you have like 50 people, you can put them all on one bus. If you have 50 people, you can put them on, you know, like in 25 cars and if you put them in trucks, you just you go on for kilometers. And so you have this small number of people, but because they're in these gigantic loud vehicles that take up so much space, it seems like a much bigger, more significant protest than it actually is. It's just louder, like these people. Yes. However, I have just as a counterpoint, mm-hmm. think about all those people protesting climate change, all those bodies. How much methane did they produce? Oh, that's a good point. See, they yeah, they don't see everybody's like big on like, oh, be a people power. I'm like, yeah, but you're just you're just doing the work. You're just furthering climate change by producing lots of methane standing out there. And they eat so much tofu. (laughs) Methane factories, those hippies. Oh, so so there's a gotcha. Yeah. That'll learn them. <laughs> That's right. I hope I hope none of them bleeding heart lefties are listening to our our program right now because they'll they'll learn they'll they'll be shamed. Uh, so we're on ninety one point three FM CJTR Regina Community Radio. We are the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Next item on the agenda is: Do you remember we did an we interviewed uh, Doctor Zhu Chow Chow, mm-hmm. who is a microbiologist who studies our wastewater, and he's in the news today because to point out that 
Regina is at record levels of uh, COVID load in our poop right now. Speaking of methane, um, but do you remember when we had him on and he said, and we did not give him any pushback on this, and we probably yep. should have a bit more, uh, when he essentially said that that it's a, as a diagnostic tool for the course of, of, of infections, it's not much use. And I, I remember being really surprised because mm. it's kind of, I think he was just hedging his bets and trying not to make grandiose claims. Uh, but it sounds like he's learned, learned the error of his ways. Gosh, do you think there could be a situation in this, this pandemic where somebody intersecting with the health system is very message controlled? Ooh. Well, yeah, I, 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 I could see that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's he's saying that uh, like he is suggesting that he's like looking at like long time studies. And so compared like now compared to right. April of last year, we're at. Um, well, sorry, I didn't write it down, but many times what we had for our last like highest load for covid virus in our poop. So that sort of suggests that, as the SHA is also uh, suggesting, we are on track to uh, record-breaking um, hospitalizations in the Queen City area. Possibly, science kind of suggests absolutely, but um, it's disturbing because we're also lifting all of our, uh, in, in the wisdom of our government, we are lifting well, most of our uh, COVID measures uh, at the end of February which is a little frightening. And we're barely, we've, we've scaled back the measures that we have currently. And I think we want to get rid of our, I think Saskatchewan wants to get rid of their measures so we can beat Alberta. Um, yeah. Cause I like, I, I wonder if there isn't like some element of this will give us a fiscal advantage over the other, you know, a competitive advantage over other provinces if we open first and we're going to get all this like sweet, sweet business dollars. Because if you run a company, you don't want to wear masks. I, I think I, 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 mean, I have to think that part of the philosophy behind our, our response to COVID is is rooted in that particular sort of like pro-business philosophy. And it's probably a sense that we're signaling to industry that we are open for business, although I don't think we'll be so gauche as to say so. Blair it from a truck. <laughs> um, you know, I think we are. I think we are going to have to like transition to this stage where we are living with COVID. Uh, we've clearly like signaled that that is what we're doing in Saskatchewan. So I'd I'd put in some time thinking about like uh, if I was in charge, what do I want to see if we're going to actually live with COVID? Um, because I don't think it's like just lifting measures across the board. I think it's like I think there's a bunch of like investments and in actual like uh, things that a government needs to do to make us be able to survive this, this, this disease that, um, you know, it's probably going to be with us like fl the flu is, but be much more, you know, deadly than the flu. Top of the list is uh, instead of like getting rid of the vaccine passport, I think that um, beefing up vaccination and creating like social costs to not being vaccinated, we need that. And making it so that if you are not vaccinated, you can't go to like public events is one of the things that's going to make it so that we can survive. Um, there's been a lot of talk about how uh, with Omicron, the vaccines are only like 60, 70 percent effective. Uh, so therefore, the vaccine doesn't work, which is just 
wrong on so many levels and also right. like not historically like it, it doesn't it doesn't recognize the long history of vaccines where most vaccines we have are not like above 90 percent effective um but if you get enough people having them they have this like blanket protection over a community right. so if you have a 70 percent, which is incidentally before we got the mrna vaccines they were hoping at best we would get 60 to 70 percent uh, protection from vaccines. That was the goal. That was the hope. Mm -hmm. And when when Mo was saying things like, oh, you know, we need to get vaccines. When we get vaccines, we can get through this. That was when they were hoping for 60 to 70 percent protection. But we ended up with 90, 95 percent. And so we got we got we got lazy. We got we took that for granted. <laughs> and now oh, we're at, yeah. you know, we are now uh, facing a, a variant that uh, actually impacts us. But, you know, two thirds to three quarters protection against a disease. Still a crap load of protection. The, another sort of set of numbers that always, always sort of gets me is when you look at the number of people in the hospital, for example, unvaccinated versus partly versus like fully vaccinated. Those numbers are deceptive because it looks like in absolute terms, there, there are more people with more vaccinated people in the hospital than unvaccinated. But the truth is, that those fewer people, those fewer unvaccinated people represent a much higher proportion of the unvaccinated population. And the vaccinated people represent a fraction of the vaccinated population. So weirdly enough, those numbers actually show the effectiveness of the vaccine, even yeah. if it looks quite different if you just see it without the context. Uh, also, the you know, your, your chances of dying are like just much, much higher across the board if you're not vaccinated. The point you just made about the way the numbers actually work, it's one of those it's one of those funny things where if you have never thought about math, the numbers seem to show you one thing. But if mm -hmm. you're somebody who's like spent any time thinking about math or, you know, God forbid, an actual expert on on epidemiology, you, you know exactly what's going on and yep. you don't. You don't need to have it explained to you by, by a couple of chumps with a community radio show. <laughs> Take it from a couple of chumps. We're your, we're your go to source for vaccine advice. Oh, dear God, I hope not. <laughs> but yeah, the, um, yeah, I, I think, but I just, that, that particular like thing, that factor always, always kind of strikes me that I, I can see how easily be misinterpreted or like people who say i'm vaccinated you know but i still got covid um so what, what's the point but that's yeah. literally like saying i wore a seatbelt, but i still got in an accident so what's the point of seatbelts? well we all yeah. know um but i don't know if you remember way back when when seatbelts were first introduced or not <laughs> but they became law like you yeah. had to have them on and yeah. people just lost it they just did not want to deal with it. They came up with all kinds of like reasons, like edge cases and, you know, ideas that, well, what people who keep their seatbelts on die from not being, not being thrown through windows. And I'm like, eh, really? Uh, but I mean, and now we, we know that those arguments were nonsense and that seatbelts are safe under most circumstances or safer than not. So seatbelts are a really good example because that's one of those things where we, we imposed a rule 
that everybody's okay with and nobody's freaking out about right now that that strictly protects the people who should be wearing the seatbelts. So this isn't like the vaccine, where by making people get the vaccine, you're protecting not just the person who gets the vaccine, but right. all the people they come into contact with. Um, the the seatbelt is it, it's from them olden times when we would institute public health measures because we just you know didn't want people to die. Mm-hmm. But you know? nowadays, seemingly we do. So you know, different priorities for different times. I don't even know where to go with this because it's just so maddening and so nonsensical that that civil society has so eroded. I blame Reagan and Michael Keaton from Family Ties. <laughs> civil society has so eroded that um, the idea that we should be trying to preserve and enrich life is now considered totalitarian or common right. for trying to give people the best life that we possibly can. How dare how dare we? But beyond that, my other ideas on what we need to do to like live with with COVID is just basically rebuild all of like the social infrastructure that we've let fall apart. So nurses and doctors need to get paid more. Uh, we, they, we owe them a friggin' vacation when, when this gets to a stable point, every healthcare worker should just be sent someplace tropical. That's all inclusive that, and it should just be paid for by the government. Um, and we need mandatory paid sick leaves. Um, we need, uh, you know, just a huge investment in public health uh, just across the board, because these are the things that these are all the things that have been exposed by COVID. It's like having fallen apart. And yeah. uh, we, we we really need more money in these things. I think the 2008 financial crisis showed us a few things about, about our mm-hmm. world. Uh, but COVID has just shown what happens when you stop paying attention to to the safety net. When you when you sort of assume that civil society is, oh, it's just fine. And we're good. COVID just came along and basically remember remember when you were a kid and you go to the, the dentist and they give you that pink pill and you and, yeah. and the pill would show all the, the like all the plaque on your teeth and then they'd shame you horribly for, for your plaque filled <laughs> mouth. That's what it, COVID, that's what kind of what COVID's done. It is it is like just coated our mouths. Uh but it has shown us like all the, the parts of our society that just aren't working and that yeah. need and that need to work better. We're going to see over the next few months what we do, if anything. I, I thought that what we were going to do for this part of the of the program was going to be like a shtick. I thought the advice for living with COVID was going to be like a bit, but it's turns out it's, we're not doing a bit. So Sorry. I let you down. I was bitless. I think the COVID response has gone beyond bits now. But on that note... That happy note. We are uh, pretty much out of time for this half. We should probably go to our innovative revenue tools. Ooh, yeah, let's let's hear them. The Queen City Improvement Bureau would like to acknowledge the Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District for their support of our show. The Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District. Improving the district where there are warehouses in Regina. And we're back from those uh, innovative revenue tools. Fine, fine tools. The best tools. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they keep us in radio. So thank this you, tools. Oh, I should mention one quick thing. Uh, speaking of innovative revenue tools, we have a sponsor for this episode. Really? Yes, we do. It's. I, I'm surprised at the, your look of incredulity because it's the same sponsor we have for every episode, and that is the uh, Warehouse Business Improvement District. 
I'm just always surprised that somebody would want to sponsor this show. <laughs> nonetheless, nonetheless, they're doing it anyway. So yes, if uh, if you need to like find like fancy groceries or to look at warehouses or do any of those things, warehouse business business improvement district help makes it happen. So, and if you need your warehouse improved, yes, like I have the shoddiest warehouse like in the business. So, Same. yeah. Same. Hmm. But anyway, let's let's move on from from all that business. What's on our agenda for the rest of the meeting? We have a guest. Mm, we have uh, Erica Bodet. Uh, no, I don't think Sorry. we do. She's not on the agenda. Well, pencil her in. <sighs> okay. okay, now we have her. Hello, Erica. Good evening, gentlemen. Hi. So it's Erica Bodin from RTSIS. What does that stand for? Because I always get it wrong. It's Regina Treaty Status Indian Services. However, the, the building that we're in is called The Gathering Place, and most people know us as The Gathering Place. So, And um, before we even start, I just want to give a quick plug to, to our sponsors as well this evening. Where else district has the best nachos and um, different types of places to eat and drink in, in all of the city? So way to go, Warehouse District, and way to go in supporting uh, local talent and local news. Well said. Awesome. Thank better you. than us thank you appreciate that yeah our uh, shout outs to our sponsors always sound a little bit like slams so thank <laughs> you um we have the best meat in the city you know <laughs> they do, there, there is some fine meat at, at, at bushwhacker so yes and uh, rebellion is amazing and all of the mm. other craft breweries where we just have an enormous amount of local talent and our we're very lucky in many ways, and the warehouse district brings many of those those fine things. So, did I do a good job? Yeah. On, did, on did job. <laughs> yes, you you now you now work here permanently. That's sorry, <laughs> that's the way it is. You're you're in the sub basement with us now. <laughs> we wanted to talk to you tonight. You've been in the news a fair bit this year, and you've been uh, behind a bunch of like big projects. But the one that we wanted to talk to you about first is. Uh, 120 Broad Street, the uh, rapid housing initiative that you guys are involved with, uh, Silver Sage. Uh, this came up at last week's executive committee meeting, and we're recording this the day before it goes to city council on Groundhog Day, appropriately. If you could just explain to us what this apartment development is that you guys are doing with Silver Sage. So first of all, um, you're absolutely right. It goes to uh, council for voting tomorrow. And uh, we're, we're, very, we're very positive that it will pass um, precisely because it's what Regina needs. Now, we have, a, we have an abundance of already social housing along the spectrum, right from emergency shelter, which we currently have um, in the warehouse district, actually, um, all the way to independent uh, living and, and housing. Now, there has never been a second stage housing project of this magnitude ever in the city of Regina. And so we are breaking new ground. And I think that that's somewhat of the, I guess, the hesitancy that, that perhaps may be out there. Because there's several fine organizations that are delivering services that, that um, are along the spectrum of supportive housing. And um, however, what makes this unique and a first for Regina is first of all, um, it's 
a rapid housing initiative. So that's the first time under the federal funding model that Regina has that. But more so than that, um, and I'm very, very proud to be a citizen of Regina and a taxpaying citizen as that, God forbid, you know, um, because there's that, that misnomer or the misconception out there, if you will, that Indigenous people do not pay taxes. Well, I wish, you know, we all wish. Um, and, um, you know, saying all of that, very much proud to be a, a citizen of Regina, a taxpaying citizen in the courageous, in my mind, very, very much courageous um, move by mayor and council of the city of Regina to have this Indigenous built, Indigenous led, and Indigenous operated. I think that in 10 years, when we see this as a first of this kind, we will see several others afterwards. At least that's my great hope. And not saying that all will be Indigenous led or operated or built, but the fact that we are the first and, you know, two stellar organizations in terms of Silver Sage Housing Corporation, in my mind, just, just extremely professional, has been delivering services for, for years and years and years along that social housing spectrum. Also, what makes it different along that spectrum is that these are actual apartment units. I know that in, there's been stereotyping in the media as well as in the community in terms of exactly what this is. It almost sounded like it was emergency stage housing or pardon me, emergency stage shelters, such as the one with the, the um, Ritz's transitional facility in the warehouse district, where you have extremely high acuity clients or residents that absolutely would not be ready for any sort of um, independent or or even the um, or even some supportive living. So this along the spectrum is where people have already met certain criteria within our organization, where they would have the best chance at succeeding with some supports that are on site, and then hopefully, once that is stabilized, they can move on to houses or apartments that are not part of this, this apartment complex and this social housing complex, and even one day become homeowners if that is their will. So it's very much along the spectrum. It is in terms of from dependence to independence. And um, it's, it's really what Regina needs, regardless of race, um, culture, creed faith base. It's just what we need in Regina here. So I think that in 10 years, we'll be saying, what was all the worry? But we're, we're at the year one, not year 10. So I know that that does bring discomfort and fear to those, especially that are a little bit set in their ways. So just a quick question, uh, Erica, you mentioned that this was second stage housing. Could you explain what second stage housing is? Well, that would be from, from what we are what we are proposing and what is going to be is that people will have met criteria where they have, they're either um, underemployed or not employed and there's reasons for it. And that we have already worked with them 
you know, on some of those barriers and obstacles to that independent living, but they're not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. And some of that is reunification with families. So people that may have been, um, you know, um, may for whatever reason, not with their families, it could even be a single mom or a single dad that's in the middle of a divorce, you know, and money is going towards the other household. And so they can't really afford a good safe place for themselves or their children when they come to visit. And so how do we move along that spectrum? Or it might mean that there is a mother or a father who for whatever reasons may have children in the system and they're working towards getting them back. And because of of funding measures or whatever the case is, they need support in providing a safe place for their for their children until they could receive financial government support in order to to look after them and to move on to independent housing. Those are just two examples, but it's really along the spectrum of who will be in in this apartment complex. With this development, uh, this rapid housing development on Broad Street, does it have a name? Not yet. Okay. We, I mean, after tomorrow, I think that the green light will be there. You know, but as of right now, um, we're just trying to get it off the ground. So there will be a name as not as of yet. Right. It'll be awesome, though, right? Oh, and probably really easy to pronounce. <laughs> I Yeah. I've never, <laughs> you guys have faced some substantial opposition to this project. Um, we've watched a lot of projects get proposed for neighborhoods and we've seen the kind of like response that neighborhoods uh, provide when there's something new coming. Um, I want to, I want to touch on some of the specific criticisms that have come up for your project, but first I wanted to ask you, did you get warned about this? Did you have a going into this? Had somebody said, okay, this is what's going to happen at your first executive committee meeting and your first public consultation. Uh, did you get coached at all from the city or from Silver Sage or anyone? No. Really? <laughs> in, a, in a word, no. Um, you know, as, as pretty much, I mean, I've lived here, there, you know, in other places, but for the most part, I've lived in Regina all my life. You know, so from my parents moving to the city from rural Saskatchewan to my grandchildren now being raised, we're four generations. And, you know, and property owners and, and all of those types of things and, and um, you know, and did being Indigenous people, you know, to boot on top of it. And I, I do have to say that even though there has been talk after talk after talk of saying this isn't racist, but I am not a racist, but, you know, um, there is in all of Regina in my own personal and professional experience, in all of Regina, there are racial stereotypes that may be founded in reality, right? And, and so I would not say it's just North Regina or in this area of Regina. I think we all as Regina citizens have a lot to learn from each other. And I actually see some of what, what as hard as it is, and believe me, I don't wish this on anyone, the issues and the difficulties, as well as where we are as, as citizens and community members, it has really shown me how far perhaps we've come, but also how far we have to go to live in harmony with each other. So I've seen this as a huge learning experience. Also, 
I, I've seen probably the what I consider the worst of humanity with some of the terrible things that have been said, you know, uh, you know, whether it's racially or, or because of somebody's gender. But also I've seen the absolute beauty in people saying, how do we help? You know, so we can't forget, we can't forget any of that. So yeah, it's, it's been quite a learning experience and, and all of those types of things. But I'm so excited. Like, I really hope that this is the community we move into because I do have family roots in this community. I know that there's incredible beauty in the people, in the community, there's strength, there's incredible love for, for the people and each other. And I really believe that once we get past some of the, this ugliness that has reared its head and that it does become a reality, I think that that's when we all settle in and say, how do we work together? How do we understand each other more? How do we make this the best opportunity for people may, who may have never had this type of opportunity before and, and give them tools in order to, to be those parents, to be those citizens that we need them to be? So I'm super, super excited. And, and I'm really, apart from all of the, the negativity, I'm, I'm so hopeful that this is going to be a really, really good move for the community as well as us. Just, you know, from the financial impact of bringing in millions of dollars, you know, um, um, you know, utilizing smaller businesses, you know, the foods and all of that type or the restaurants, you know, all the way up to, you know, investing that capital project, which is close to $10 million, you know, so there are, apart from the fears there's so much good to this. And that's really what I'm holding on. And so many of the citizens have reached out to, to myself as well as our organization and have said, this is really what we need and we support. And, you know, that's what I hold on to when I hear the negative Nellies and the fears. Now, I know that I like to talk, but what I will say, you know, finally within all of this is that being a property owner myself in the city of Regina, I understand that some of that fear is very much based in the reality of worrying if your, your investment is going to lower in value, wondering if your children are going to be beside people that you would not want them to be around. You know, like there's so, there's so many realities within that fear. However, what I always say is that we can't get stuck in that and we have to move forward and to explore what that fear is. And is it, is it a rational fear or exactly what is the reality of that fear and how can we help each other so that we know what the truth is? And so that's really how I've been able to, to discern the true racism that's within it, because I think those are the ones who have heard the truth over and over and over again, but they're still sitting and, and mired in um, untruths. And, and um, that's just where they're going to be. And that's fine. That's their alter. That's their, that's their prerogative, you know, but what I am glad to say is that I really do find that that's a very small percentage of people in Regina and and in, especially in this community. Um, but they do like coming out to those meetings to talk. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, and, on them. and the emails, honestly, the emails, you know, that's it's it's very much um, easier to write what your true feelings are yeah. and include race mm -hmm. in them with emails. 
Do you have like uh, a subject line that stands <laughs> out in your head from an email you've received over this? Good question, but I would have to go back. Like it's it's always, you know, very, very generic concerns about or whatever. And then when you get into the body of, you know, and and honestly, you know, yeah. even with the transitional facility with the warehouse district, you know, like there was so many, there, there is incredible fears about that. And I get it. Like honestly, I get it. I have children and grandchildren. And I totally get it. And that's why I don't feel like there's any stupid questions. Um, sometimes there's stupid answers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, to me, this is the first time this is happening in the city. Um, this is all a learning experience for all of us. I'm sure that the city on the next RHI, if they are spearheading it, will we'll do it in a much better fashion, you know, because there's lessons that are learned here. And um, and just lessons learned, I guess, is, is what I have to leave it at. The community's like main concern uh, that they've brought forward is just that they um, they they say they would be okay with this if it was a family development for women and families, and their concern is that there's a school there right across the alleyway uh, from where this development is going, and that there could be single men living there, and that's a problem for them. Um, how do you how do you respond to that concern, like? Well, first of all, I would say that there is, once again, in that stereotype, there are realities. Okay, so I, I want to acknowledge and validate that. But then I go for I move forward and say, okay, once we acknowledge that fear, we, we have to walk down and have a journey about how realistic that fear is. Okay. And so from our perspective, and we work with this every day, moving from dependence to independence is a journey for any person, regardless, once again, of race, color, creed, faith, nationality, whatever it is. And, and this is about second stage housing is about new opportunities and, and a second opportunity, if you will, if you even got a first opportunity. So I can understand that, but I also know from our perspective that really it is men who from our knowledge and our worked reality, that there is a lot of healing going on and a lot of wanting to be the head of the household and even to become single parents and to bring that family unit back together. Now, um, I have said, and I think I may have said this in executive council as well, that if we are going to single out men and also the silent indigenous men, in that, right, that we also must look at the fact that if people are vulnerable, that they're vulnerable to every perpetrator or danger out there. And that if that is the case, that that there is extreme vulnerability in the community, that our organization would be willing to come in and, and sit and walk with the community in exploring how to make children safe. Now, it almost sounds tongue in cheek, but it actually isn't, is that my knowledge is both personally and professionally, that perpetrators don't know, once again, age, they don't know class, they don't know gender. If you're a perpetrator, you're a perpetrator. So my question is, is that just because of age, where we're going to be next to a senior citizen's home, that children are at less risk for people who have that um, background, 
that are living in the senior citizens home. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so there is, if there's risk, there's already risk in the community. So let's start talking about how we mitigate risk and lessen risk and, and really identify what the risk factors are so we can truly address the issue as opposed to the stereotypes of what risk looks like. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for that. Um, uh, well, you know, we only have a couple of minutes left before, uh, before we run out of time here. But um, are there other things that RITSIS has in the hopper, as it were, that you guys are planning to do beyond this that you're excited about? New programs coming up? Anything in the new year that we should be excited about? Well, we're always excited. First of all, just like every other community-based organization, you know, we're fatigued. We're so pandemic fatigued. Even going into the pandemic, um, you know, there's there's a lot of um, just a lot of fatigue. And so, I mean, we're rounding up into what going into year three now. You know, um, going into it, and so the need is greater and different than even before the pandemic. And so, you know, in some ways, we're just trying to hang on. But in others, such as the RHI project or other types of opportunities we have, um, we're very excited about the future and we're very excited to be part of the what is now the city of Regina. And also, you know, very excited with new partnerships because I believe that none of us can do it alone, that we all have strengths as well as, as struggles and obstacles and also vulnerabilities. And so this, you know, whether it's the city, municipal government, provincial, federal government, I think that we have a long ways to go in addressing some of the social ills, as well as promoting some of the incredible strengths our city has. And so there's so much opportunity for um, whether you're considered mainstream or marginalized for everybody to move forward together. So as I'm sitting here and I'm talking about fatigue, also what helps me both personally and professionally is looking at all the opportunity that we have for change and moving forward as as a community as agencies as governments and really the future is very very bright for all of us we just have to make that choice to get on that to get on that train to make it better for all of us who live in Regina because it's both a personal and professional belief that we're only as strong as our weakest link and so we can't we can't move one without the other, that they move at the same time. And so having that, we're constantly in flux and um, we're going to do it. Like time waits for no one. So let's let's do it together. You know, they say death and taxes and time. That's the only thing that we can count on. So let's make the most of it and let's make the most of it together. I think that's my biggest message and my my biggest hope and prayer every single day. Awesome. This will be airing after you've done your spiel at uh, council. Looking forward to hearing that. And good luck. Well, I, I, I really, I think that it will pass. Like it all, yeah. like it, it looks like it's going to pass. So I'm, I'm a little bit, I don't want to count my chickens, you know, but on the other hand, I think that we're going to have some good news tomorrow. And honestly, what started out in December, I would say 40 to 50% of the citizens in that area being really against the project. I think we're now down to five to 10%. Wow. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, like it's, it's, and I believe that perhaps those will be the silent ones once we start moving forward, because we're planning on bringing, you know, uh, new programming 
um, to, to the community that will be open up to the community. So we're really planning on not only just doing our own thing, but working with the community, the community association, in order to enhance programming and, and services to, to that group that are living in the, I shouldn't say to that group, to the citizens that are living in that area of the city. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Mm. Well, yeah, so this has been very fun, and I really enjoyed and, it. And you're welcome back anytime to, you know, as, as the project goes along, to come in and, and uh, just shoot the basically. Yeah. Yep. I love shooting all so you know, <laughs> feel free to invite me back. Will do. Okay. Okay, take care, and thanks for Should we adjourn our meeting? We absolutely should adjourn our meeting. I will make that motion. I will second that motion. Motion has passed. You've been listening to the Queen City Improved Bureau at 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. Tune into the community. Our guest tonight was Erica Bodan of Ritzis. So thank you, Erica. You can find us on Twitter at uh, Queen City IB, also uh, Queen City uh, Bureau.com, and of course CJTR.ca slash podcasts. We broadcast Thursday evening, 7 to 8 p.m. We broadcast Monday afternoons, 3 to 4 p.m. I think coming up next, we've got the Nerd Court Cabaret, followed by another show, I'm pretty certain, and then music all on through the night. That's all. Keep on improving, Regina. Excellent. <laughs>